Hey, church family, welcome to another online service. So glad you made the choice to engage with us here today. I want to encourage you to choose to sing along with us during this time of worship. One, two, three, and...
Be on my 
lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Hello, my internet people. It is so good to be with you. Worship team, thank you so, so much. Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. Have a couple of announcements for you guys. First of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we'd love to pray for you. We know that there's just stuff going on in your lives, and we would just love to partner with you in prayer. Please text any prayer request to 97000, and we will pray for you this week. There is so much going on here at ABF. If you are interested in knowing about those things, about ministries and events going on, please check out the website. The calendar is always updated. You can get any information you need there on the website. Also on the website, if you've been blessed by this ministry, this online ministry, these messages every week, and you'd like to give financially, man, that is such a huge part of keeping this thing going. And so if you're interested in giving, you can do that online on the website under the Give tab. Uh, Man, that would be a huge blessing for us. Thank you so much for continuing to partner us in giving. Uh, Now we're going to get to our time in the Word, and I would just love to pray for that time together. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you that we get to continue to do this. Um, Thank you that these videos get to continue to go out and that people can access them so easily that your word is at our fingertips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just use the teaching of your word today uh, in just a sweet way. Would you meet us exactly where we're at and say exactly those things to our heart that we need to hear, Lord? We pray that you just convict us and stir in our hearts now. We love you, and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you so much, uh, worship team, for leading us, and thank you, Josh, And a special thanks to Josh this week, probably by the time you're uh, seeing this, uh, he'll be celebrating his birthday. It's kind of fun this year. Uh, Both Chris Kerner, myself, and Josh all ended up having birthdays that landed on uh, Sunday. So that's kind of cool. Hopefully Josh has an amazing uh, year ahead. Well, as you know, if you've been along the journey with us, we're just gradually working our way through the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're picking up right where we left off last week, starting and hoping to cover all of chapter 8 here today. Uh, It's always great if you're following along in your own uh, copy of God's Word, whether that's online or a hard copy yourself. And I've actually titled this message, Completely Secure. Again, completely secure. Something about the sound of that that's uh, real appealing to us. When you're talking about feeling secure, you have to maybe start by looking at the opposite or the alternative to that is insecurity. By definition, insecurity is anxiety about oneself or a lack of confidence. If you think about it, you think about our culture, our society, really insecurity is pretty rampant. It's both inside and out of the church, and it's a very commonplace, and it really comes and it affects people from all different stages and ages of life, despite background, education, social status, even appearances, uh, success, non-success, all all. Uh, people have the potential to struggle with insecurity. 
And really, it can take root and cause a lot of havoc in mental health and your, one's ability to move forward in life. And so I think it's an important topic within the church. So often it starts with kind of an inner monologue, the negativity, negative talk inside of our minds. It's almost always internal where we, it can, and it comes at the most inopportune time. I can even speak from experience in times where I'm sharing God's word. There's times where just that little seed of insecurity sneaks in, whether it's uh, provoked by glancing and seeing somebody begin to doze off in the message or somebody that just seems like they're obviously not tracking with me. There's that seed that's planted that, oh, you're not doing a very good job, or oh, maybe you should have rethought how you present this. All of those things want to sneak in, but to be honest with you, the longer I do this, the more I uh, adjust and then realize, oh, they're not sleeping. They're just deep in prayer, or they're just deeply considering uh, the thoughts of the last point that I made. I don't know how you deal with your insecurities. We all have different responses to it. But truth be told, if we talk about this topic of insecurity, it's not something that we are intended as Christ followers to live with. In fact, we should be some of the most secure and confident people on the planet, knowing who our leader is, knowing what he's done, what he's accomplished, and where our eternity is headed. That should all of a sudden completely change the lens in which we see things. But that's not always the case. So often we're crippled by it. I was just reading this last week, uh, kind of a psychologist identify three different main causes for insecurity. I don't know if you can maybe guess these. The, the three really weren't any surprise to me. First one is insecurity due to past rejection. Think to yourself, man, it's going to happen again. I'm going to be left. I'm going to, I'm going to be left behind. I'm, a, I'm an outsider. So that's one of the things that directly affects people's insecurity. How about this one? Insecurity from social anxiety. This thought that I just don't belong here. I just don't fit in. I don't know how to interact or engage with this group. Insecurity due to perfectionism. The idea that I'll never be good enough. So often that plagues people as well and leads to their insecurity. Well, truth be told, each one of these can be confronted with truth that's found in the book of Hebrews. This week, especially, our author is trying to reinforce, to, to lay the groundwork for the basis for our confidence, our confidence in Jesus Christ. You'll see more as I explain and walk through the text how this relates, but let me just start with a word of prayer before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we come to you now just dependent on you, and really these passages are intended from the author's design and him being compelled by your spirit to move us towards a confidence, complete confidence, complete security in you. I ask that you do heart work, even in our time together now, 
that you'd move and, and, and free us from some of the lies that cripple us, that you'd allow us to even see victories in some of the thought battles that take place in our regular week where there's the, the negative talk that sneaks in. God, I ask that there'd be even healing in this area because of our text today. We believe that can happen. And so we ask for it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, as I mentioned, starting in chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. All right, so we'll pause there for a little explanation. As we've already mentioned in previous weeks, that the idea of high priest often misses us. It's something that we don't necessarily associate with our normal life or routine. But really, maybe a better explanation, and it definitely makes sense in this context, is for us to think of it in terms of a, of a legal setting. In a lawsuit-obsessed culture, maybe it's better for us to understand when it's talking about a high priest, the idea of having strong legal representation in court and why this is so important. You might, you might say, well, why is that such a big deal? Why would we want uh, strong legal representation? I'll tell you why we want strong legal representation. Because we're guilty as charged. We're guilty as charged. So we're not interested in taking the, the public defender that's provided. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for Johnny Cochran in our situation. We need somebody to represent us well in court. That's what we have. It says here, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Our high priest or our advocate, the one that's speaking in our defense, the one that's coming to our rescue, we're told a few things about him. First, that he's at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Really, anytime you look in scripture, the idea of being at someone's right hand is always associated with the highest possible position of honor. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we keep revisiting this thought that Jesus is above all, is over all. He's been elevated to the highest possible place. So you couldn't pick a more credible or more, uh, or, or, or more uh, perfect representation for you. God, man, God in the flesh representing you. I love for the person that's maybe anxious about this, the person that suffer, suffers with anxiety of, of maybe one day standing before God, what are we told here? It, sa it says that, the, that God is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Thinking about that of being seated, what does that mean? Seated means that there's nothing that's needing to be done. Think about that reality and the invitation that we have that at some point, those of us who are in Christ, Revelations 3.21 says something just unbelievable. It says the one who conquers, meaning those who persevere, those who are in Christ till the end, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Imagine that reality for those of us who are in Christ to one day be seated with him on the throne. I can't even wrap my mind around that. Seated has a second important meaning, meaning here as well. The idea of not needing to do any more work. You see in the temple, they didn't, that wasn't something that a high priest was familiar with. They didn't set up stalls or seats or benches within the temple because the, the high priest's job was never, ever done. They were always making atonement for sin, for the people. It was a, a never-ending thing. It was never something that they got to the end of the line and they're, they're like, all right, it's accomplished. We've taken care of the issue of sin. I was thinking of parallels present day, maybe moms or in some cases dads can actually resonate with the whole picture of laundry. It's something that I'll tell you what, I'll finish going through with Adrian and we'll get tons of loads done with, we've got three high school students, get it all done, get it all folded, get things back in drawers. And man, it's just a day or two and all of a sudden the laundry baskets are filled again. I think that's the picture here. It's not something that's ever finished. Our sin, obviously greater than a laundry issue, but it's something that was never solved until Jesus intervened until he made the sacrifice once and for all. That should have been the most amazing news for the Jewish people. Are you kidding me? We don't have to continue going before God, be going before him with sacrifices for sin. But here's the truth of how it worked is the court was too holy to ignore our sin, but it was also too just to accept multiple payments for the same sin. I'll explain what I mean by that. It's too holy. So we couldn't sneak by without having our sin addressed. That's why we had the system in places where sacrifices were made for sin. But it was also too just that it couldn't keep accepting payment for the exact same sin. And that's what Jesus did for us is he provided the payment once and for all in our place. It describes him here. It says, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. I want to make, uh, just give pause just to that statement in and of itself when it says the true tent that the Lord set up. You see, that would have been a, uh, uh, those would have been fighting words for the majority of his audience that had put so much pride in the temple. It was the system that they were familiar with, the generation after generation. They had built this temple with their own, own hands. And for them to be told that that's not the true tent, it's the, not the tent that the Lord set up, but here's the reality, is that we do have a God that dwells in a tent, but it's not here on earth. He has a dwelling place, he has a home, and it's not here. That's what our author is pointing out. He continues with that idea in verse three, says, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Now, what is he actually saying here when he says, would not be a priest at all on earth? But think through that just for a moment. Think about the sacrificial system that we've talked about for a number of weeks now that was in place where the high priest went in one time a, a year into the Holy of Holies to make an atonement for the sins of the, the people. 
you think about it in Jesus's time here on earth, you never tried to see, you never saw him try to take over that role or that function. You see, truth be told, Jesus would make a lousy temporary, a temporary priest because Jesus made, a, as we've been told, a sacrifice once and for all. He wasn't the temporary solution like these men that were following the law, that were going through different procedures that God had put in place. Instead, Jesus was the permanent solution. The system of priests was just a picture building anticipation for the true heavenly priests where we, that we are all so desperate for. Continuing in verse five, we see that we get the real thing. It says, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. We'll pause there. What's it talking about here? It says they serve, talking about the priests, as a copy and a shadow. What is a, a copy and a shadow? What does that exactly mean? It's something we're familiar with, especially in present day age. We're very familiar with copies of things, of things, one thing representing another. If you go into probably most people's homes that, is, that are listening right now, they probably have it someplace in their house, whether it's in a frame or on the wall, they have pictures of either places that are important to them or loved ones that are important to them. You think about that. Well, every time you look at that, it's a reminder. It's a shadow. It's a representation of that person. It often brings back, floods us with great memories. But we'd never get to the place with that object where if you had the potential to choose, will you take the real thing or will you take the shadow? Will you take the copy? Of course not. You'd never trade a kid for a, the picture of the kid. That would be ridiculous. Here, the same thing is true with the place where God dwells. Or one day, we're going to give an account to him in a real place before a real God. And so we needed a real advocate for this real courtroom appearance. And that is what we have in Jesus. We don't have to have anxiety about standing before God Almighty one day. We have an advocate that will speak on our behalf. And so we get the real thing, not according to something that was made as a picture. So that was the thing that they were having such a hard time understanding. Those that were entrenched in Judaism, all of these things were intended to just paint the picture of what was to come. And they fell in love with the picture rather than the real thing that it represented. Continue in verse six, it says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is, that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord." 
stop there for some explanation. So it says that the covenant he made mediates is better. To me, upon first reading this, I'm like, man, well, what do you do with that? What is he saying? Is he saying that God messed up with the Mosaic covenant? Was that a, was that a mistake? Was that the first time in, in history where God did something that was a, a poor decision? But here's what's important for us to understand. The problem was not with God the pro- in the laws that he gave to Moses. The problem was with man's inability in his free will to keep those laws. Notice he explains in the text there, verse nine, he says, they did not continue in my covenant. They failed, we failed. It wasn't his issue. Romans 8, three tells us the exact same thing. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I like how Pastor Stephen Cole explains it. He says, the purpose of the law was not to impart spiritual life, but rather to reveal our sin so that we could be driven to faith in Christ as our only remedy. You see, it took that. It took that law. It took exposure to that law. It took failure after failure after failure of trying to follow the law for us or for some of us to recognize or acknowledge our inability to do it on our own, our inability to solve our sin issue. It took the law to expose us and bring us to the place, hopefully, where we humbly admit, I can't do this. I can't do this. That's so often the releasing the effort of of trying to please a perfect God. I wonder how much of our perfectionism that's attached to our anxiety is really rooted in this. The conclusion that most people come to in their attempts to do better, to be perfect, to be be flawless in their their actions, for them to come to the conclusion that I can't do it. I'm, I'm always falling short. And here's the reality. It's actually healthy for us to come to that conclusion. It's healthy for us to admit, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure, I'm a mess, I can't fix me, because that brings us to the place where Jesus needed us to be. That's where freedom actually lies when we begin to lean into him rather than to us. So when he's talking about a better covenant with better promises, what made that covenant better was it was a covenant where he was carrying the weight, where he was carrying the load. It was something that was prophesied all the way back in Jeremiah chapter 31, that one day there would be a covenant where, that he made and he would perfectly fulfill. Better covenant, better promises, where he is now the one mediating on our behalf. Thank goodness it's no longer dependent on you or I. Continue in the last couple of verses here, the jam-packed with a lot though, says this, says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So he's about to explain what this covenant's gonna look like. It says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We'll stop there at the end of the chapter, but obviously that needs some explanation. But the big idea that I hope you're catching in reading that section is that God wanted something more than just a contractual relationship with us. He didn't want a setup where it was like, I'll do this for you and you do this for me. We have a, an agreement set in place. He wanted something much more personal than just a contract. Think about that in your own life for the, how many things in our routine are really just set up as contracts. You do this, you do this. Nobody's here giving a phone call on the weekend to check in with their uh, Verizon customer service rep to say, hey, hey, Neil, how you doing this week? Wanted to check in, see how you're doing. Tell you how thankful I am for the, the gigabytes that you provided this week. No, of course not. You pay your $137 and they give you data. That's it. That's, that's how the exchange works. Well, that's not the exchange that our God wanted. You see, in the Old Testament, it was a contractual relationship. You do this, he does this. You come perform this sacrifice, that your sins are there covered until the next sins that follow shortly after. That's what it was. It was something, if you think about it, if you're familiar with this concept, it was kind of like an interest-only loan. Maybe if you've ever been in a bad financial predicament, you've been in a place where you're just like, man, how can I reduce my monthly costs? Well, I can, I can shift this loan to just being an interest-only payment where I just have to cover the interest. A lot of times that's the case with credit cards. But here's the problem, as some of you have maybe discovered the hard way with interest-only loans, is it never deals with the, with the actual debt. It's something that just is a, is a band-aid. It keeps it going and it postpones what would inevitably, inevitably need to be dealt with in this same situation that had been us with our sin. Never dealing with it, only postponing standing before the judgment seat of God. So this new covenant was completely different completely different. And it's, it's fascinating to look at the detail of what's actually included in that. That's why I wanted to spend the remaining minutes that we have. And it's not like reading your, your uh, health or auto policy. This is, this is the covenant between you and God, if you're in Jesus Christ, that you're currently living under. Few things that are important that he identifies in these couple verses. The first thing is this, that it was decided by God. He says, I will establish this covenant. I think that's an important thing to observe there. And you're just like, why is that important that he's the one that established it? Think about it. When you're dealing with the judge, the person that's responsible that you will answer to, you want to make sure that they're defining the terms, not you. Imagine those of us that have a, a home loan of some sort trying to go before the bank and say, you know what? I have some terms for you of how this is going to work. I'm going to pay you $23 a month. They'd be like, are you kidding me? That's not the terms that work. God is the one that establishes the covenant and he's the one that establishes the terms of that covenant. 
You notice how many times in this section I tried to, uh, to point towards that each time we said it as we were reading that section. How often it says, I will. I will establish. I will put my laws. I will. I will. He repeats that theme over and over again. And that's a good thing. That's wonderful news that it's not depending on, on us, that he's the one initiating. He's the one providing. He's the one putting things in place. So first thing that we see in that section, that he's the one, it's decided by God. Second thing, just want to make note of this, that it's also a covenant made with Israel. I don't often take time to pause to point to this, but I want to point out when it says that this new covenant with the house of Israel is that Israel still holds a place near and dear to Almighty God. It always makes me sad when I'm interacting with a, a Jewish person and something related to the gospel, and they correct me and they say, sorry, 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 I'm, I'm Jewish. As if that was an assumption that just because they're Jewish, that uh, that means that they automatically have rejected Jesus. That's not the case for many. And in fact, we're told in scripture that a day is coming where many Jews will turn to Jesus. Many will embrace his salvation. So that's a part of the covenant as well. So decided by God, made with Israel, new and better. It's the third one I jotted down there. It says, not like the covenant I made with their fathers. Why is that important? We already alluded to that. The covenant that was made with their fathers never actually dealt with the sin issue. It was a postponement. It was a, it was a band-aid solve for the greater issue. It was, the, it was the solution that, man, we need something newer and better than anybody that's self-aware enough to realize how short they fall to God's perfect standard, has to recognize this is wonderful news. Made with Israel, new and better, internal. I thought that's kind of a, a, a cool fact of this new covenant. He says this clearly. He says, I will put my laws into, unto their minds and write them on their hearts. This is different. This was before this, that's, that's a description of what the Holy Spirit provides for someone that's in Christ. Think about how that plays out in your own life. I can't even think of a time before having embraced Christ because I embraced Christ at such a young age, but I'm very familiar with this relationship looks like where God regularly brings to mind, all right, you shouldn't be doing this. Hey, you need to avoid that. Hey, you need to move towards this. Or, or hey, I, I encourage that. I, I notice that. All of these daily interactions that we have with God because he's placed it, he's imprinted these things on our heart and mind. If I'm real honest with myself, usually if there's some kind of a sin that I slip towards, it's not because I didn't know that it was wrong. It wasn't because I was lacking the information. He's faithful with that. And if we listen to him, he wants to have this kind of internal, personal relationship with us. That leads to the next one, verses 10 and 11. It says that they shall all know me. In addition to it being internal, there's a, a relational component to this. Where over time, through conversation, through getting to know him in his word, through getting to know him in church community, there's something that happens where all of a sudden you're just like, man, I know God. I know him intimately from, from our shared experiences together. That should be the aim of each of us. 
I love how Jeremiah the prophet, he described this in Jeremiah 9.24. He says, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Referring to God himself. God help us to, to push back against living for things that are lesser. Things that won't ever satisfy that relational whole in our lives. So internal, relational, verse 12, complete forgiveness. What does it say? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's such an important thing to understand that in this covenant, we have been washed clean, completely forgiven. I love that picture of remembering them no more. Thinking about how often we're crippled by the memories of our mistakes. But he's saying, you know what? I have covered that. I have paid for that. You can be set free from that. That doesn't mean that we don't still confess our sins and we want to turn from our sins. But we've been released from the consequence, eternal consequence of our sin. And that gratitude for that should compel us, should move us towards wanting to live within the parameters that he set in place. And the thing that I've discovered, the, the more that you actually do stay within his boundaries, the more you realize, man, that's just a better way to live. A life that's not filled with regret, that's not filled with uh, remorse, a life that's not marked with uh, the heartaches that come when we do go outside of his boundaries. All of this was intended as part of this covenant. Doesn't mean that there's no more existence of the law. Doesn't mean that's still a backdrop for this relationship, which the Holy Spirit uses to convict and to direct us. The last thing, and we'll end with this thought, verse 13 describes it. I like this description. He says, growing old is ready to vanish away as he talks about the old covenant. I thought that that sounds a lot like how I feel anytime I'm playing sports, growing old and feeling like you're about to vanish away. This idea of it's getting closer and closer to being done. It's getting closer and closer to being done. I think there's two different meanings of this with the covenant in relationship to his audience. The first one was an obvious one that we can now see in hindsight that they may not have recognized. That this whole system that was in place was about to be completely destroyed. Those of you that are familiar with Jewish history in 70 AD, Emperor Titus actually destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Israel ceased to exist and their sacrificial system, the temple, all of the things that they had placed their hope in was completely eliminated, completely destroyed. So he's explaining that those things are about to vanish away, but it wasn't just the physical things that was vanishing away. It was also the spiritual things that were vanishing away. No longer was the Levitical law and the Mosaic covenant what they were clinging to. That's not where they were to find their hope and their security. For this audience of, of Hebrew believers, he's explaining to them that that has gone and the new covenant which is that we celebrate every month in communion. The new covenant in Jesus Christ, his body, his blood broken on our behalf is now the new covenant in which we find hope, in which we find security. 
all of a sudden the, the things when we, when we start to consider this, a lot of the things that we're anxious about of trying to meet a perfect standard with our, our actions, perfectionism that sneaks in. Are you kidding me? Uh, we're, we're done with that. I, I've given up on that a long time ago. I'm clinging solely to Jesus Christ for that, for this idea that I'm a, an outsider hoping to, to, to fit in somehow. You're like, are you kidding me? I'm scheduled. There's a day on the calendar where I will be with Christ on his throne. My mind can't even wrap around this. All of the things that move us towards anxiety we're set free from when we actually find our hope and confidence in Jesus Christ. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for these reminders and we're desperate for them because it's so quick that we slip towards fear and anxiety and all of the insecurities that this world wants to entice us with. But I love that our confidence when we keep coming back to you is should be and is in you. I thank you for this reminder in this text and I pray that that would invade even our week ahead where when the enemy wants to sneak in with all of the self-doubt and the self-hating and loathing that the enemy would be shut up with the truth of your word of who we are when we're in Christ. I thank you for this reality in Jesus Christ's name, amen. When you speak, confusion fades just a word. And suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak And freedom reigns There is hope In every single word you say I don't wanna miss one word you speak Cause everything you say is life to me One word you speak Why so in my heart I'm listening When sorrows roll And troubles rage You whisper peace When I don't have the words to say I won't lose hope When storms won't break you keep your word Oh, and your promises will keep me safe I don't want to miss one word you speak Cause everything you say is life to me I don't want to miss one word you speak To quiet my heart Listening.
church. Well, again, thanks for being with us online. And hopefully these are words of encouragement, they're refreshment, should be water to your soul if you're in Christ. And for those of you that maybe are wrestling through what a, a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like, man, I would be so thrilled to see at some point someone reach out to me, whether it's through email or contacting the church, I'd be thrilled to talk to you about what starting a relationship with Jesus Christ could look like. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your day.